In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the first three chapters of St. Paul's letter to the church at Rome, he speaks of two revelations, wrath and righteousness. The first is the revelation of wrath, which is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness and men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It is revealed against all because all sin. But even though the wrath of God is revealed against all, it is revealed in two distinct ways to two distinct types of people. On the first hand, it is revealed to those who are unbelievers, to those who are outside of the faith. And because they are outside of the faith, they are not sinning under the law as written on stone and even in scripture. In many cases, because they are simply ignorant of the law as it is written on stone and in scripture. And yet, their sinning is without excuse because the law is written in their hearts and also because what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them in things like creation. What they should know about God is demonstrated in creation. And yet, in their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth about God. Even though they should know it and confess it, they suppress it. Uh, and because of that, they trade the truth of God for a lie. So instead of worshiping God as God, as the almighty creator of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in it, they instead trade the truth of God for a lie and they worship the creation rather than the creator. That is, they make idols out of such ridiculous things as wood and metal, but above all, they idolize themselves. They worship themselves rather than the creator who made them. And so because they do this, because they not only sin, but they worship and idolize the creation rather than the creator, that is because they persist in unbelief and rejection of the true God, God's wrath burns against them. And he actually begins, even in this life, to visit their wrath upon them. And so this first revelation of wrath that God reveals against the unbelievers, those who sin apart from the written law, this wrath is what we might call the natural revelation of wrath. And this wrath, this natural revelation of wrath, consists in the fact that God actually gives them up. He gives them over to a debased mind, it says in Romans 1. And so he gives them up to their passions. And so as he gives them up, they begin to do more and more detestable things, vile, contrary to nature. Their women give up natural relations with man and instead commit idolatrous and wicked things with other women. Likewise, the men gave up the natural use of the woman, men doing with men what is detestable and receiving in their bodies the due penalty for their error. But even more, God gives them up to their vile passions that do things 
like unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and the list keeps going from there. The fact that they do these things, that God has given them up to these things, that is his wrath. It's not the fullness of his wrath, it's his temporal wrath, not his eternal wrath. And unless they, um, are, unless they hear the word of God and are converted to faith, the temporal wrath that in which they now live will give way to eternal wrath on the last day when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead and they are cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But although they don't receive eternal wrath yet, the, wrath, the temporal wrath that I just described is truly God's wrath against them for their sin and their unbelief. But God reveals his wrath in another way. He reveals his wrath to a different type of people. He reveals his wrath also to, in Paul's context, the Jews whose sin was under the law. But now we could say that he reveals his wrath even to you Christians. You don't sin in ignorance of God's law. Your sin is with the knowledge of God's law. You've heard the word of God. You've been given the Ten Commandments. You've been given God's threat of punishment. And so God has revealed, that is, he has shown you his wrath, what you deserve because of your sin. And so God reveals his wrath to his believers, to people who have been converted and who hear and submit themselves to the word of God. God reveals his wrath by saying things like, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, meaning that they would die spiritually and would then be conscribed to sin. He reveals his wrath when he says to the people at Mount Sinai, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. When he says to Ezekiel that the wicked shall die in his sin unless he turns and repents. God has revealed his wrath not only naturally to those who sin apart from his written law, but he reveals it also precisely through his written law to you who believe. As it was, so it is. Paul speaks of the revelation of wrath in his day, and God reveals his wrath in the same way to us. Unbelievers, apart from the written law, are inexcusable because the law is written on their hearts, and God continues to give them up to a debased mind. What Paul observed in Rome, the incredibly wicked things going on all around him that he lists, is that not observable to us every place we turn. It is a sign that God's wrath is real and that it burns hotly against those who reject him and his word. But he reveals his wrath still to us also as he revealed it to the church at Rome through his word. He presents his law, his immutable righteous will, what he expects of us, especially us who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And his law though in turn reveals our sin and because it reveals our sin, it therefore reveals that we are deserving of the punishments which he outlined when he gave the law. We are inexcusable 
for our sin under the law, even as the unbelievers are inexcusable for their sin apart from the law. We have the law. We proclaim it as we should. It is just and holy. And yet we are unable to carry out the very thing which we proclaim. And so a couple weeks ago, I recall that Saint, we preached uh, from the letter to the Philippians um, against anxiety. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. And yet, those, we who preach against anxiety turn around and immediately begin to worry. We worry about uh, our jobs. We worry about what, how we're going to make payments. And even we in the church, who have been given the great promise that Christ will build his church on himself as the cornerstone, and he gave the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, even we in the church find ourselves worrying about the future of that church about which Christ has made such great and glorious promises. We look around and worry as the pews aren't as full as they, we think they should be, and we worry as though Christ is not going to keep the promises that he made to us. Likewise, we preach uh, against anything on Sunday morning, whether it be sports or recreation or what have you, we preach against those things that would take us away from the divine service, as well we should. And yet, we preach that according to the third commandment, and the third commandment makes much greater demands than we keep, demands that we uh, hold the word of God sacred and gladly hear and learn it. So perhaps we read our Bibles every day, as well you should, uh, but perhaps it's not as joyful, perhaps it's begrudging, perhaps it's out of a sense of duty rather than out of the joyful uh, realization that through his word, God makes himself known to you. He loves you. He wants you to know him, and so he speaks to you. Should we not be joyful to hear the word of God every opportunity we get? And so we preach against the third commandment, and yet, or we preach against the sins of the third commandment, and yet we do not fulfill it ourselves. And for these, there is wrath. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, whether they be believer or not. The wrath of God is revealed against the unbeliever, and the wrath of God is revealed against you. But now, but now the righteousness of God has also been revealed. But unlike the wrath of God, which is revealed precisely in his law, the righteousness of God is revealed apart from the law, apart from the law, apart from its works, apart from any attempt to gain righteousness under it. The true righteousness of God is revealed apart from the law, being borne witness to by the Old Testament scriptures. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, not for all who work, but for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no distinction when it comes to God's wrath. All are deserving of God's wrath, but are also justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, which is received by faith. The righteousness of God is now revealed 
apart from the law and apart from its works. And it is unlike the wrath of God because unlike the wrath of God, which is revealed in multiple ways, the righteousness of God is revealed only in one way. Unlike the wrath of God, which is revealed to all, the righteousness of God is revealed only to one type of person. It is revealed only in Christ. It is revealed only in the one whom God sent forth to be our propitiation by his blood. And it is revealed only to believers because as Paul writes to the Romans, it is received by faith. The wrath, the righteousness of God is only received by faith. And so it is only to you believers to whom God has revealed the righteousness of the man Christ Jesus whom he put forth as a propitiation. And you, who receive the righteousness of God, you receive it only in one place because faith is a gift given through the hearing of the word of God. The righteousness is revealed of God is revealed to you only in the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. Again, not to everyone who works, but to everyone who believes. First the Jew, but also the Greek. And God reveals his righteousness to faith in this way precisely because he cannot reveal his righteousness in the law. Because the law, a righteousness of the law, would require us to carry out the law perfectly. And yet, the law reveals the truth about us that we are, in fact, sinners. And since the law reveals sin, it must therefore reveal wrath, and it cannot reveal God's righteousness to us, and especially cannot give God's righteousness to us. And because God has revealed and granted to you his righteousness for the sake of Christ through faith, you now interact with God's wrath differently. God's wrath is revealed to you, but only in the sense that it is shown to you. God shows you what you deserve, what your sins have merited, but he doesn't visit it upon you. He reveals his wrath against unbelievers to them precisely by visiting his wrath upon them in the way formerly described. But he reveals his wrath to you only by showing it to you and not visiting it upon you even in the slightest. Because what you deserve is a debased mind and vile passions as God has given unbelievers over to. What you deserve is eternal death and condemnation. But he does not give that to you because he has granted to you his righteousness. And so what happens with the wrath that you deserve now that you have been granted God's righteousness? Well, it's already been taken care of. God poured out his wrath that you deserved on Jesus Christ, the crucified one on the cross where Christ was meriting righteousness for you that you might be justified through faith, God was pouring out the wrath that you deserved because of your sins upon Christ. And so we see the most marvelous thing in Christ's cross. In the one hand, we see the punishment. We see on the cross 
what we deserve for our sins. And in the same moment, we look and we see Christ's blood, the blood of propitiation, the blood of atonement, the blood which renders us clean from all transgression. On the cross, we see God's righteous judgment against our sin, and we also, though, see his mercy winning for us righteousness. We see the fullness of God's wrath upon the cross, even as Christ our Lord suffers the pangs of hell and cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And as Christ says that while suffering God's wrath, we see in him our righteousness. All of this apart from the deeds of the law, because we believe that man is freely justified for Christ's sake through faith when he believes that he is forgiven for Christ's sake, who by his death has made satisfaction for our sins. And this faith, the faith which believes in the satisfaction that Christ made on the cross for our sins, this faith God imputes for righteousness. And so the faith which is imputed for righteousness comes through the preached word. After all, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. And therefore, since faith comes through hearing and not by works, since righteousness is imputed to faith and not gained by works, our righteousness is apart from works of the law. It has to be. We are the object upon which God works through his word to bring us faith, upon which God works through faith to grant us his righteousness. We are the object upon which God bestows these marvelous things in order that he might bring us with Christ into heaven. And this is magnificently glorious because it gives us comfort in the face of all situations. If we were to have a righteousness attempted by the law, we could never be comforted or at peace. Because in the first place, the law is not how God reveals righteousness. And in the second place, righteousness attempted under the law is always an incomplete work attempted by sinners. In the third place, because it's an incomplete work attempted by sinners, it can never fully assuage God's wrath. But instead, even in our attempts to satisfy the law, we sin and merit for ourselves more wrath. And finally, righteousness attempted by the law is never complete because the law always has more to demand, more to do. But the righteousness of God through faith is marvelous and it is a comfort for us because in the first place, this is how God reveals righteousness. We know that God reveals righteousness through faith because he says the righteousness of God is manifested apart from works of the law. So why would we go chasing a righteousness by works of the law? God clearly says it's apart from works of the law. In the second place, this righteousness gives us comfort and peace because it is complete. And it is complete because the righteousness of God was not carried out by us but it was carried out by the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he is perfect and therefore does all things perfectly and completely. And so this righteousness is a comfort when faced with God's wrath, 
because Christ, our righteousness, took the wrath of God for us. He drank it to the dregs. There is no more for us. And finally, the righteousness of God through faith is a comfort because it never demands more. It is already completed. If you have the righteousness that Christ grants you through faith, then you have the fullness of the righteousness of God. There's nothing you can do to get more of it because you already have it all. It is complete because as Christ says from the cross, as he wins for us righteousness, he says, it is finished. The righteousness of God is revealed apart from works of the law to those who have faith in Christ Jesus. And this, faith coming through the word and righteousness coming through faith, this is why we are celebrating as we are this day. This is why the church is decked out in red. This is why we're singing a little bit louder, the organ's a little bit more joyful. It's why we have a group of men over there clad in red ties, singing the wondrous praises of God through the words of the, of the great Reformation hymnists. We celebrate today because through the work of Martin Luther and the other reformers, God purified the proclamation of the gospel in his church. Through their boldness, the word of God and righteousness freely through faith was defended against, from against the tyrants who sought to dispense God's righteousness in ways that God has not, did not, and does not promise or reveal righteousness. They attempted to sell the righteousness of God, righteousness of God for money. They attempted to tell people that they could work for the righteousness of God. And yet through, through the boldness and the clarity and the faithful preaching of the reformers, God preserved his church from that tyranny. And he preserves it even today. As I said, Christ is the one who builds his church. And if the gates of hell cannot prevail against it, neither can the tyranny of the papacy. And so we thank the Lord today for preserving pure preaching of his gospel, for preserving the right faith, and for preserving the proclamation of righteousness freely for, through, for Christ's sake, down through the ages, even to us. We thank God that through the work of the reformers, he has kept the word in his church pure and has, and has retained it pure even to us. We give thanks for the word which does all this work, the word which grants us faith, the word which purges the church from false doctrine. And we give thanks that through that word he has granted us faith, a faith to which righteousness is imputed and by which faith we live. For the righteous shall live by his faith, here in time and hereafter in eternity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.